Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go, everybody. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession over 100 years ago. Now, we step back into the ring, back into time, with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller sitting pretty in the great Smoky Mountains. What's going on, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Lovely day. Uh, got a little sunshine today. Uh, I'm looking here at the computer, and it says it's 99 degrees. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of similar here and maybe a little warmer here in southeast Alabama. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little warm here, man, uh, but uh, it's still beautiful. Uh, can't uh, can't take the beauty out of it. That's for darn sure, no matter what the heat. Heck no. So no bears lately? Oh, man, yeah. Bears are, <laughs> bears are <laughs> yeah, they're becoming friends, man. <laughs> uh, wow. Just, uh, I'm hoping that they don't start knocking on the door. Yeah, you you probably don't need any any unexpected guest at this time. So No, no, not that big anyway. <laughs> you know, I like the two-legged guest better. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, you're going to be coming to the Dothan area pretty soon. I know we're going to be talking about that on this episode, as well as talking about some of the action, what, 44 years ago. But I think a lot of folks are going to be excited to see you here in Southeast Alabama this weekend. So we're going to be talking about that, right? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I don't think I've been there since COVID. It so, has uh, been a know, while, yeah. And it's been a couple of years. And yeah. so I'm really looking forward to coming down, coming down and, uh, you know, going south Heck instead of going yeah. north to get there. I used to go north to get there, man. Now I go south. So. Heck yeah. All right. So I think the good news is you'll be arriving here Friday, and then the event that you're going to be attending is going to be on Saturday. So we'll be talking about that in this episode. And listen, by the way, we have some really big news today about something that happened on your studcast last week. And before we get to that, I noticed in this studcast, number 256, the title sort of tells the story when you sent the notes out this week from last week, LaDuke Gibson angles explode territories. That's what this episode is called. LaDuke Gibson angles explode territories because it's exactly what happened in both Southeastern territories 44 years ago in 1978, right? But it didn't just happen then. Studcast listeners around the world exploded last week as well. Congratulations, Stud. By the way, Studcast number 255 was the largest audience ever in the five years that you've been doing these Studcasts. And that's a ton of Studcast. Oh, yeah, man, it is. And uh, wow. Uh, it, yeah, I'd, I'd seen that, man, that the numbers just exploded. And now, uh, you know, I think we've been doing some great studcast. And since we've got two territories to talk about, there's so much content that we probably hadn't had in, in, in studcast for, for many years. And uh, wow, it just uh, it really went crazy. And I, and I really owe it, man, to all the great listeners out there, obviously. And I was kind of blown away by the numbers myself, man, that uh, last week's listenership. So uh, fans around the world, man, are obviously very interested in what we're doing what we were doing 44 years ago in Southeastern wrestling is kind of crazy, but you know, uh, old school is where it's at. And, uh, wow, we talk in old school every week. And, uh, this is maybe one of the few podcasts, wrestling podcasts in which they can hear old school stuff. And, uh, 
So southeastern wrestling in 1978 was uh, unique to every other territory in the country. Basically, you know, it was the only wrestling territory in the world that had separated its crews, Mm -hmm. that had two entirely different operations, uh, that had different angles on both, Mm -hmm. uh, and they had totally different audiences in 10 different states. In 1978 alone, we were we were being, we were in eight different uh, we were on eight different TV stations in ten states in those ten states, and by eight 1985, those stations are going to double to 16, more than double to 16 to at least 16 TV stations, and that's in an additional six more major markets too. Like uh, we're going to we're going to be on TVs in Atlanta and Birmingham, Chattanooga. And plus, we were being seen in three foreign countries by 1985. I'm telling you, that's amazing growth, Ron. And you're talking about in the early 80s and late 70s. These studcasts seem to be growing in audience just as fast. 44 years later, you were doing something with split territories that had never been done. And obviously, every night in the Southeastern Rings with angles that had never been done either. So what more could you have been doing than that? Well, oddly enough, Dave, a whole lot of things, actually, you know, uh, and uh, we, the things that we've never gotten to yet. Uh, we got these automobile tournaments and boat tournaments. And uh, for the first time ever, man, uh, about 44 years ago, almost uh, within a month from now, for the first time ever, we had a two-night tournament. And we gave away with that tournament a $5,000 mink coat to a lady in the audience. You know, uh, stuff wow. that had never been done. And uh, so that upcoming studcast, when we get there, and, and which is going to happen within the next couple of months, well, it time to describe uh, the combined territories. We did. We brought in guys from the South Territory to the North, uh, and we had a two-day back-to-back. We ran on Thursday night and Friday night in Coliseum, both sold both nights out, man, on the last weekend of the summer of 1978. All right. I want to be clear about this. Did you put the mink coat up on the 25 foot foot pole and make the lady climb the, <laughs> not, wait, come on now. All right. That's really cool. Ron, you were doing some really crazy stuff, giving away a mink coat to some lady in the audience. How did that work? Well, it was it was crazy, man. It was part of a 15-man, two nights in a row tournament. And the whole concept and the idea for the tournament was to find the next opponent for the NWA world champion, Harley Race. Uh, and then, you know, wrestlers from both territories were going to be involved in it. And in addition to that, it also gave, like I said, a $5,000 mink coat to a lucky lady from the audience uh, on the second night. And that $5,000 in 1978 is like $22,000 today. So, you know, it's a pretty nice gift, man, for back in 1978. So here's how the two-night, you know, fan interactive meat coke tournament worked. You just wanted to know how it worked. So on the first night, uh, (laughs) in the huge lobby of the Knoxville Coliseum, they had these large boxes that were brought in. And uh, they set up across the entire length of that uh, lobby in the box office there at uh, Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had names on them of each wrestler, 15 wrestlers. Every box had a big name on it. And uh, all these were the 15 wrestlers in the tournament. So as the women started coming in the Coliseum with husbands and some by themselves, uh, they selected the wrestler that they, that they thought might win the tournament. And then they filled out an entry slip and they stuck it in the box that had the wrestler's name on it. And the guy that they hoped, obviously, is going to be the winner of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So the entire front row of ringside on one side of the ring was left unsold so that these ladies could sit down there. Okay? So before the tournament's first match, all the boxes were brought from the lobby of the Coliseum and placed in the ring. <laughs> and uh, then we darkened the building, man. The spotlight followed a limousine. It was in the back of the Coliseum to the ring. And then a young lady got out. She was wearing the mink. And uh, she went to the ring so fans could see the coat. And as she paraded around the ring, all the wrestlers involved in the tournament, all 15 guys came down to ringside. Hmm. So each wrestler went in the ring separately, and they picked a random slip out of their box. 
that had their name on it. And uh, then they handed it to the announcer. And, uh, you know, the announcer called out the lady's name. And uh, she came from wherever she was seated, down the ringside, mm-hmm. and was met by the young, the young lady with the mink on so that she could see the coat and, uh, real close up and, uh, and what she had the possibility of winning, obviously. So uh, then she was seated personally by the wrestler that she had chosen. He came over and set her down in the seat. She's going to be there for two nights if he wins, right? <laughs> so, uh, and she comes back uh, free for the second night because she has been selected with the chance to win the coat. So when uh, her selected wrestler lost, then uh, when the matches started and everything in the tournament, only about uh, half of the guys, everybody wrestled the first night and about half of them wrestled the second night because some of them had been eliminated. Yeah. But uh, when she beat, when her wrestler lost, then she returned to her original seat with her family or whoever she had been with. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he won the first night, then she came and sat in that same seat the second night to, for him to get the opportunity to win the tournament. Hmm. All right, and was there going to be a title, world title shot that's going to go with that? Yeah, yeah. So whoever wins this tournament in the second on the second night is going to get a shot at Harley Race three weeks later. Wow, the man himself. Yeah. All right, uh, I, that just that's crazy stuff. This sounds incredible. I've heard how you how you say presentation is everything. You've said that a lot. It, it's beginning to sound a little bit like. The first ever intro to a hockey game 11 years later. (laughs) I I can only imagine what those women's reactions were when their names were called. That's really cool. Well, it was awesome, Dave. I mean, uh, you could hear them scream, man, wherever they were in the building. Some Mm -hmm. of them were called out of the upper deck. Mm Mm-hmm. And you could hear him scream in the upper deck. They were, they had had an opportunity (laughs) to win a mink coat, man. I mean, you know, and uh, so... And uh, Spotlight would then go find them wherever mm-hmm. they were and follow them. They would yeah. come all the way, some of them running, yeah. down yeah. through the building to the ring, man. And there were 15 and, uh, of them, right? 15 of them. One to represent each wrestler. That's it. Cool. Okay. And if their wrestler won, they were going to walk out of there with a mink coat. All right. So basically, the event was going to have two winners in it. Yeah. Yeah. You and your horse, Mr. Pickles, man, you're right on the trail again, Dave. Yeah, that's correct. You know, the wrestler who won the two-night tournament is yep. going to get the shot at Harley Race three weeks later. And the lady sitting in the front row there that represents him, that represented him in mm-hmm. the tournament, she got to leave the Coliseum on the second night with a beautiful mink coat. <laughs> that's awesome. Listen, I can only imagine how those ladies were reacting when their wrestlers were competing in the ring. You got the because those fifteen had reserved seats now at ringside, right? Oh yeah. So they really right in the front row. Yeah, so they really got upgraded, and uh, they're sitting there pulling for their guy, obviously. So I'm sure fans were watching them too, as much as the match that was in progress. You're 100 percent right, man. You know, uh, and that made it a truly interactive event, which Mm. uh, you know that's what we really wanted to accomplish here is get the fans not just involved by being fans and part and seeing the show but being part of it and winning something themselves so uh, some lucky fans were were part of it all man uh jesus uh, it was great it was a it was one of the best deals we ever did listen I, i've done radio promotions for years and years and years 40 plus years and i and i've watched wrestling over the years i've never heard anything like this this is a really great idea because you are involving the fans and it's way more interactive and the fans have two things to focus on. So speaking of great ideas, you've got some fantastic ideas taking place right now on the classic continental wrestling.com streaming channel. So tell us what's happening there. I know there's a ton going on. Well, man, I'm really, really happy with this news, man. Some of the original Southeastern wrestling TV shows finally, are going to, from the old southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, from as early as 1979, are going to start showing up on the streaming channel now. We've been trying to put them together. The first one is going to be actually from 1978, a uh, Knoxville television program, uh, one of its entirety in good quality, a rare, rare find, man. 
And uh, it's all going to begin uh, with uh, with maybe the only entire TV show of great quality, like I said, is this one from Knoxville in 1978. So uh, oddly enough, Southeastern TV shows were originally recorded just six weeks after this TV show. That one in 78 is only six weeks later than where we are talking about in this stud cast. So uh, we're going to be able to talk about that show basically pretty close to the time that uh, it's going to appear actually on the streaming channel. So uh, I'm sorry to say, though, we haven't been able to find all of the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV shows from mm -hmm. 79 to 85. Mm -hmm. But uh, I feel really secure that we have the biggest number of those classic Southeastern Gulf Coast TV shows ever, anywhere. Wow. So uh and I want to tell fans, uh, please be patient because it takes time to put these on the streaming channel. It's not an overnight deal. But by the time we get them all there, they're going to be in the hundreds. Wow. And listen, the cool thing to me growing up in this part of the country and watching these shows is watching these future superstars that were created here in a lot of cases locally and I'm talking stars like Hulk Hogan, the future Honky Tonk Man, the future Brutus, the Barber Beefcake, the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, the anchor of the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson. There's a there's a huge list, and I could keep going on that, but that's really cool. It's going to be special, man. Uh, you know, more things are going to be added uh, this week, as a matter of fact. Uh, the fourth superstars of the past, and this one has two superstars in it between the decade of 1910 to 1920. And uh, while this one, in my opinion, this is the best one yet, man. Uh, these two great wrestling champions uh, in the early part of the last century, uh, back between 1910 and 1920, they gave fans much more than just gave great matches, man. And in my opinion, uh, these two were the greatest humanitarians in, humanitarians in the history of wrestling, man. Uh, their stories are truly extraordinary. Hmm. Uh, their lives in, were intertwined uh, for a lifetime in hmm. a very unusual way, man. They, so it's going to make uh, uh, people appreciate wrestlers more than ever when hmm. they when they listen to this one. That's the fourth superstars of the past. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you the two wrestlers' names, uh, but uh, I think people are going to be blown away by this one. And then the fourth chapter of my audio version of Brutus is going to also be going up this week. All right, I've been listening, by the way, to every Brutus so far. I can't believe you're actually doing the voices of so many of the characters in the novel. Of course, we've learned with the stud cast that you, of course you do, Ron, right? And there are several that you do. But that, to me, that's what makes ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, your streaming channel, so different. It's exploding with the fans like our stud cast, Ron. It's only $4.99 per month. And $39.99 per year to get the greatest old-school wrestling content on the planet. You can subscribe now, by the way. Get one week free, a free trial for one week. It's the best deal in wrestling. So, all right, Ron, we are we are cinched up. Where do we ride today? Well, we're beginning to ride, man, into southeastern Knoxville with its TV show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, June 17, 1978, promoting the great card uh, two days Six days later in the Coliseum on uh, June 23rd, 1978. And we're going to get that card. We'll cover the TV. We'll talk about the results of the card. And we'll talk about the attendance. Then we're going to ride south, man, to Mobile, Alabama, to follow up on last week. That's where we were last <laughs> week. And it'll be the first live event there in three weeks. We have a TV show to promote the card because we lost our TV there temporarily. And we're going to find out basically, man, what kind of wrestling market Mobile really was. My dad said it's one of the greatest wrestling cities in the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and we're going to we're going to find out a lot more because for the first time in three weeks, they're going to have a TV that promotes this card. And we'll talk about that card and the results of the matches and uh, and the shocking attendance. <laughs> so uh, and we'll hopefully have time to take a look at Southeastern Gulf Coast growing success, man, and why it was so sudden. Talk about a little bit of the reasons for it. And then, and then given enough time, we'll answer another learning tree question, if we've got the time, Dave. Okay. So I'm, I'm not going to hold you to it, but we'll see what happens. All right. So I'm sure you've got some surprises in store for us, too. On the ride, as usual, 
So tell us what the card was. Let's start, as you said, with Southeastern Knoxville in the Coliseum, Friday, June 23rd of 78. Well, it opened up then with the United States Karate Champion, Ron Slinker, faced off against uh, the guy that had been there uh, for the whole summer before and had, find, had come back. His name was George McCrary, a great amateur wrestler. Uh, another returning star showed up that hadn't been there in a long time, Dick Steinborn. Was going to wrestle Don Fargo. Uh, my brother wrestled a gorgeous George Jr. that night. And in a loser leave Southeastern match, the great Malenko was going up against who was a perennial fan favorite there at this point, Tony Charles. Uh, then the Southeastern tag belts are on the line for the first time in four weeks. Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, presented by Ron Wright, were defending their belts against Jimmy Golden and Bob Root. And my brother was going to be seconding them in their corner. And before we give everybody the main event, I'd like to tell fans what happened in the main event the week before. I didn't discuss it last week. I just said that Ronnie Garvin won the elimination match. But in the 12-man elimination match for the held-up Southeastern belt, it basically won was a classic match. The match lasted well over an hour. Uh, it had to, uh, started out with 12 guys. Uh, everyone had to be eliminated. Uh, and it had so many strange things happen in the course of the match to go along with the great wrestlers in the match who was former NWA world champion Jack Briscoe was in it, karate champion in the country, United States, uh, Ron Slinker, the southern heavyweight champion, Jerry Lawler was in it. And there was a surprise Canadian, Joe LaDuke, in it, the guy who had <laughs> caused the match to begin with, basically. <laughs> so before we get to announcing this match and uh, this week's main event, I need to explain what happened in that final match last week. So during the early stages of this elimination match, the great Malenko and Tony Charles, they basically renewed their fight that had begun in the three preliminary matches earlier in the evening before the elimination match even started. They were in that match. They got into it big time there. They got into it big time again in the elimination match. Actually, out on the floor, they weren't even inside the ring, and they both got disqualified thrown out of the, the elimination. So they lost a chance to, to work with the champion if, uh, if they had the opportunity. So the last four in the match on that particular event last week was Ronnie Garvin, the Mongolian Stomper, Don Carson, and Joel Duke. And Ronnie Garvin and Don Carson were in the ring when this when it ends, right at the end of the match. And uh, Joel Duke and the Mongolian Stomper, who were bitter enemies, from the blockbusting in incident a uh, year before and uh, from all the many, many matches they had against each other, they got into a fight outside the ring. So you got a fight going on inside the ring between Carson and Garvin and one outside between the Stomper and Joel Duke. And uh, so then Garvin jumped off the top rope, man, when he got his chance in Carson's throat and he got the pin. But it left two more guys that were still in it. So about the same time as, as he was jumping off the top rope in Carson's throat, uh, the Stomper and Joel Duke fighting outside. They had this big collision outside the ring, and both of them went down. So the referee asked Garvin, after you beat your opponent, you've got to pick your next opponent. Mm -hmm. So the referee asked him uh, who he wanted next, and he looked out there. They're both laying in the floor, and he picked the Stomper. <laughs> so... Uh, so the referee started, the referee went, well, okay, uh, Stomper's laying on his back, flat up his back. So he says, uh, I, well, he says, ring the bell, and then he started counting him out. Oh. Stomper never got to his feet, and he got counted out. And then so the referee says, who do you want next? And Garvin pointed, well, Joe LaDuke. Boom, LaDuke there you go. laying there, and LaDuke was no different than the Stomper. He couldn't get up either, man. Wow. So the referee raised Garvin's hand, gave him the Southeastern belt. The crowd loved it. They, that was the guy they wanted to see win it anyway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he's uh, he's going to he's, – he's had one heck of a night. So this uh, week's main event involved all four of them. So we got the same four guys in the main event for this next card. And it was for the Southeastern Championship. Uh, and the champion, Ronnie Garvin, is going to be defending his belt that he had just won 
the week before against the Mongolian Stomper managed by Don Carson. Mm-hmm. But there's a special referee for this one, Uh-oh. and that's Joe LaDuke. <laughs> All right, that's another great card in the Northern Territory, as we'll call it. So what was on the TV show six days before leading up to this event? Well, it opened with the focus on the third match from the top of the card, which uh, was the loser leave Southeastern match between Malenko and Tony Charles. And uh, Tony Charles was at the set with Les. And although Tony uh, had not been in many main events in his time in Southeastern, yeah, the most of them that he was in that were main events were those World Heavyweight Championship matches, those classic matches against Nelson Roy, he and Nelson Roy. But uh, he was without a doubt, don't make any difference, one of the most popular wrestlers in Southeastern history. People love Tony Charles. Fans were crazy about it. And uh, this obviously was his biggest match in a long time and maybe most important ever for him, man. So uh, he made that point right away. You know, uh, the still shot's still behind him and Les. And uh, Tony uh, starts talking about what's going on. And uh, and once he gets to talking about it, uh, <clears throat> he talks about Boris and him going at it outside the ring. That's what they were seeing on the video from the night before uh, during this elimination match. And, uh, and he talks about them both of them getting thrown out of the match and, uh, and both of them losing the chance at, at having – getting a win at the Southeastern title. So uh, I obviously wasn't there, but I was in Alabama and about to handle another TV in the other territory about the time this TV is being done. So Rob told me later that Tony described the action in the video while at the same time he put the Southeastern fans over big time. You know, he, he said he spent as much time talking about what a great time he had had in Tennessee and how much he loved Tennessee and how Tennessee had become one of his favorite places in the world to live and how badly he wanted to beat the Russian simply to make sure that he might have opportunity in his career in Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so Rob said he got a huge hand at the end of the segment, man. And instead of going back to the dressing room, as most wrestlers did after they finished the interviews and finished these uh, segments, he went to the studio audience and he started shaking hands with uh, all of them, man. And um, his feelings were real. And the fans could always tell it, man. He was a he was one heck of a dude. So uh, Boris Malenko uh, turned the party in the studio, man, into a roar of booze, man, right away. Because he happened to be the guy in the first match. So they are all... Uh, Still congratulating Tony, and uh, and here comes Boris Malenko to the ring for the first TV match. And uh, as he had been doing on TV matches and everywhere he was wrestling uh, in every building, he stomped this poor dude crazy from head to toe all the way around his body, a thousand stomps, you know. And uh, But this time... He, he went a little further because he's going to be in a loser leave match. I think he wanted to make a real point. He rolled the poor dude over. He sat down in his back and grabbed his chin and he put him in his Russian sickle, Ooh. Russian sickle hole, man. Huh. Wow. And, ah, geez. I, I'd been in that hole before when I was young in Florida. Mm-hmm. I just felt so horrible. I, would, I knew Rob told me that. I was like, so there was no blood in that match, but his opponent had to be carried from the ring anyway. Wow. I mean, he, he just really did a job on him, Rob said. So uh, both Russian and English man, they interviewed it at the end of the match. And, and you know, it's pretty crazy, you know, and, and I just could picture that. You've got those two very different accents. You've got the Tony Charles English accent, and you've got uh, Malenko and his Russian, you know, and... Uh, and those accents, man, they spoke very loudly about the worldwide competition in Southeastern wrestling during that time frame, man. Wow. We had wrestlers from everywhere. So Ron Wright didn't make the studio crowd any happier when he brought his tag team champions, Condry and Nickerson, into the studio. And they were wearing their belts that they hadn't defended a single time in almost a month. <laughs> Been having six-man tags, and they had not defended their championships. And uh, they made short work, as usual, of their opposition. Uh, Ron Wright took them, obviously, to the set for the next interview. Uh, They were defending their belts. 
on the card next Friday night against the new combination of baby faces, Jimmy Golden and Bob Root. And that kind of proved that, the, you know, they had been beating all the baby faces there. And this was a new combination. And uh, the, the team of Condry and Hickerson were dominating tag, tag matches, man. They were really, really a fantastic team. So the personality profile was on one of was with one of the two men that were on the personality profile the week before. Don Curtis was on there a week before with Joe LaDuke. Obviously, Don Curtis wasn't on there this one. But his elimination match, his idea for that elimination match for the way to win the Southeastern belt was a great idea and a huge success, uh, not only with the fans, but at the box office. So uh, Joe LaDuke was on this one. He had returned again for the second profile in a row. And he and Les watched the end of that fantastic elimination match from the night before that I described earlier. And he focused on the stomper and him getting to, into it on the outside of the ring. And uh, and it cost him his chance to win the belt. You know, that him and Stomper told him, you know, they ran head to head like two bulls and knocked themselves out. <laughs> and he, had, he, he didn't win the title. So uh, Joe again was able to tell, though, another story, kind of like he told in the last personality profile, this time about his appreciation for Don Curtis for allowing him to return to Southeastern. And that in the upcoming Southeastern title match, Rob said he, he told him that he wasn't going to favor one wrestler over another, especially, he said, since he had been honored by being chosen by Don Curtis to referee the Southeastern Championship match. And uh, there hadn't been one of those in weeks for the Southeastern title. And uh, so he explained that he was not in any way friends with either guy. You know, he said, you know, and this was true, that Garvin had had, uh, had a part in breaking his brother's neck oh, a few yeah. years back yeah. when, they were, when Garvin was partners with Bob Orton Jr. Mm-hmm. in Kansas. And uh, he said, and also, he said, and the Stomper, he said, had been a had been a big part of uh, of having problems with him, and uh, and he almost broke Joe's neck about a year ago mm-hmm. when he grabbed the sledgehammer away from Gorgeous George Jr. and he broke a giant concrete block on Joe's head. Hmm. And uh, so uh, Joe said he looked forward to this opportunity, and uh, and made the best man win. Hmm. So that personality profile really did make a lot of sense. He. He did have a big grudge against both men. The only thing he had in common with Garvin was they were both Canadians. But anyway, I don't know if that, I don't think it mattered by, by this time. So what was next? Well, the Stomper had his opportunity to make his point in the next TV match. And he made it as he always did, man, with his manager, Don Carson, standing looking on, man. And uh, Carson made the interview after the Stomper's obvious win. Nobody ever beat the Stomper, as I can remember, on television. And he had lots of questions for Les, Carson did, about the fairness of Joe LaDuke as a referee. Considering all the bad things that had happened between Joe LaDuke and his Stomper, he said, uh, you know, and, and probably had some legitimate questions, you know. I mean, uh, that was an odd choice. So uh, then Ronnie Garvin finished up the show, man. He lit the studio up when he came in wearing the new Southeastern belt for the first time in more than a month since somebody had worn it. And uh, he, as always, pulverized his opponent and, uh, as always, jumped off the top rope in his throat for the win. And uh, and he made the last interview of the TV about how important this match was for him. And he, he, too, had questions for less uh, about how absolutely unpredictable that Joe LaDuke was as a choice for referee in this kind of match. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it was odd. It was odd, an odd choice for Don Curtis. It sounds like Don Curtis had added a lot of mystery to what was going to be happening six days later. So what, what did happen, Stud? Well, Ron Slinker, man, started off the evening and uh, he, he overpowered George McCrary and while he left him laying, man, what Rob said was a nasty-looking karate chop. <laughs> McCray was never going to get up. Uh, Dick Steinborn uh, had a win in return, Southeastern. He beat Don Fargo. Uh, my brother got himself a win over Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, the great Malenko got a lot more heat than usual, 
by just barely beating one of the all-time Southeastern Knoxville favorites, Tony Jones. And uh, and I, however, was not so sad about it uh, because uh, I was down there in the South and I had one of the greatest true wrestlers in history, man, uh, on his way to Southeastern Gulf Coast because I knew that that's where Tony was going to want to come. And uh, we were going to get him down there in the, in the Gulf Coast territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, fans there were going to get to see one of the best wrestlers they had ever witnessed. And uh, Tony Charles was going to make his debut. And uh, he was going to make it the following week, as a, as a matter of fact. So uh, Tony Charles, w- w- you know, uh, he, he, he spoke about how much he loved Tennessee. But by golly, he was not going to be unhappy about coming to Florida very long to Pensacola. Hmm. Uh, he found himself and his beautiful family, a house on Pensacola Beach. He fell in love with the white sands and the clear water of the Gulf of Mexico, man, and he never left. <laughs> he became just as popular and loved there as he was in Knoxville, man. Wow. And he thrilled, absolutely thrilled Southeastern Gulf Coast fans for years. Wow. And uh, on Valentine's Day in 2015, 37 years after he arrived in Pensacola at the age of 79, he died on the beach there, a happy man. Oh, wow. All right. So I, I do remember him, too. He wrestled He wrestled that English style, and he really had some moves that we had never seen, especially as youngsters. He was always surrounded by fans, and I think that was really the key to this guy. He, he really loved the people around the sport. Well, one of the greats of all time. That's what he was. There's no doubt about that. So uh, in the next match, Jimmy Golden, Bob Root wrestled the Southeastern Tag Champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. And they wrestled in a rare one-hour time limit draw in a tag match. And Rob told me that uh, Ron Wright got the announcer's microphone with five minutes left and counted down the last five minutes, minute by minute. And so... Uh, he was he was pushing his team obviously to get there, man. <laughs> Those hour matches were tough, even if it was a tag. So the main event was a wild <laughs> one. Uh, Joe LaDuke had been hit uh, during the match by both Garvin and the Stopper, but it didn't stop the match. He allowed the match to continue both times, and uh, and he didn't really uh, get uh, too nasty until Don Carson got involved, and uh, Don Carson. Uh, Found his way into the ring uh, when Joe LaDuke had his back turned and loaded his glove, and he popped Joe LaDuke in the back of the head. And uh, so Ron Slinker, who was a younger guy who had been there at this point about two weeks with Joe LaDuke, had become great friends with Joe LaDuke. He was standing watching the match when uh, Carson popped him in the back of the head. Ron Slinker came down to the ring in defense of his friend, and after that, it was a free-for-all. Mm. And, uh, anything went. Uh, uh, Joe LaDuke finally got back up to his feet. Uh, he had him ring the bell. He went over and told him that the match was a no contest. And uh, and the fight was still going on, Slinker. Mm. And it was it like never ended. And uh, as soon as that part ended, uh, Joe LaDuke <laughs> got out and went after Carson, chased him to the Hills dressing room. So must have been a wild night for the fans. <laughs> How many? Well, I said uh, there wasn't a single person in the Coliseum that would, was in their seat. Oh, I bet there weren't. How many? How'd you do on the show? I bet it did pretty well. Yeah, it was. It was not as big as the Friday before with the big elimination for the title and everything, but it was still about fifty-three hundred people, still over five thousand, a huge crowd for a city the size of Knoxville, Tennessee. Cool. So fifty-three. That's that's not bad at all. Okay, Ron, this is a good place for a break. So as a part of the break, I think you're going to be talking about your trip down to Dothan, Alabama. So tell us what's happening, Ron. Yes, I certainly am. Uh, I'm looking forward to it too, Dave. It's been a long time since I've been down in the Dothan area. And uh, it's uh, going to be a real, real honor and a pleasure to be there. Uh, I want to invite fans uh, that part of the country uh, to come on out to the Continental Wrestling Fan Fest, uh, it's going to be on Saturday, July 2nd, which is just a couple of days from this this uh, studcast mm-hmm. that we're, we're doing today. And uh, and I want to uh, just uh, at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, yep. uh, there's going to be wrestlers from all over the country at this one. It's going to be amazing. And uh, 
and I'm going to bring a whole lot of stuff for fans and friends of mine. Uh, they'll be able to see, uh, buy, see and purchase uh, photos from me. Uh, I'm going to bring uh, some of the uh, Continental Five Packs with me. I'm going to bring some Brutus books with me. Uh, I'm going to bring some Southeastern T-shirts that fans have never seen before. Uh, so, uh, and I think uh, that's going to be very popular down there. Uh, just it's going to be a great day, a great deal. Uh, it's going to be at the crossings at Big Creek. That's just a few miles south of Dothan on Highway 231. Mm -hmm. It starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. they got live matches that night. Uh, it's a great way to spend the day. And, uh, and if you're a big wrestling fan, you're going to have an opportunity to see a whole lot of wrestling. My brother's going to be there, as a yeah. matter of fact. Jimmy Golden's <laughs> going to be there. Yeah. My brother, my cousin, my cousins. From the other Welch part of my family, Roy <laughs> Welch is going to be there. Uh, the Armstrong boys are going to be there. Oh, Scott no. Armstrong and Brian Armstrong. So I, I thought there might be a scrap that could break out at some point. There ain't no telling what's <laughs> likely to happen, man. I'll tell you that. You know, it's uh, going to be a great day for fans in that part of the country. Uh, come on out, say hello to me, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be autographing things for people and uh, really look forward to it. It all starts at 2 o'clock, I think, on Saturday afternoon, July 2nd, uh, right down there. And I think that's a casino, man, isn't it? One of the few in the country, right? Yes, it is. In that part of the country. Yes, yeah, it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Yep. Beautiful room. It's it's really going to be a tremendous event. All right. And uh, look forward to it. Indeed. It's called Continental Wrestling Fan Fest, Dothan, Alabama, at the crossing at Big Creek, Highway 231, near the Florida line, south of Dothan, Alabama, Saturday, July 2nd. All right, here we go. Welcome back in, Studcast fans. Another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, into the second segment of this particular episode. Okay, Ron, so I think we're headed south. Where to next? Well, we're, we're headed south. You're correct about that. We're going back to Mobile, Alabama, where we spent a lot of time last week. And we're going to see how that city did, man, once they got their TV station back. So Mobile, on the night of June the 20th, 1978, got the same TV show and card that had been in Dothan the week before. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. So uh, let's start by reminding listeners uh, what that card was, uh, that uh, Dothan card that is going to be making its way along with the TV to Dothan, Alabama a week later. So uh, Burhead Jones, who was a former star in Gulf Coast and well-known in Mobile, been there many times before we got there, uh, Bob and I, uh, and uh, he was going to be wrestling against a masked man named El, El Diablo, uh, the wrestling pro Tarzan Baxter, also well-known in Mobile, met another Gulf Coast star from the previous owners, Eddie Sullivan, and the rest of the card was all talent from the new Southeastern Company. Bob Armstrong and I, uh, we talked about it. We were both concerned about that fact, especially since the fans in Mobile and Pensacola in that Florida market had missed three straight TVs uh, and that they were likely to have missed all the great angles and matches because of the David Schultz and Charlie Cook watermelon incident. So the next match, luckily, had those two uh, wrestlers I just mentioned, uh, Schultz and Cook, uh, the two involved in this incident uh, from the TV market lost three weeks earlier, uh, they were going to be in a tag match. This time, Charlie Cook's going to be paired off with Mike Stallings, and he's going to be going against David Schultz, and his partner was going to be Eddie Mansfield. Uh, there were two main events on this card. The first for the Gulf Coast Tag Team Championship. The champion assassins with manager Billy Spears was against Robert Gibson, and it was scheduled to be a mystery partner. As the TV goes by, uh, that they're going to be seeing, uh, that's going to change. It's going to be too big a mystery anymore. So Robert had lost his tag partner, uh, Rip Tyler, the week before in a loser-leaves match. So he was kind of uh, in need of a partner. So in the, you know, the last main event was uh, for the $10,000 that I had won the week before in Mobile in the elimination match there. And I had put up the $10,000 against Bob Armstrong's Gulf Coast title. And in this match, the winner was going to take the money and the belt. So the winner takes everything. All right. I think, you, yeah, I think you did a really good job explaining this, Ryan. So instead of talking about the new card in Dothan, as we usually do, we're going to see how well 
the last week's Dothan card was going to do in Mobile after three weeks without any TV there at all. Boy, you and Mr. Pickles are on the trail again, Dave, man. Hats off to you, dude. We are. So so we're going to see not only how that card did in Mobile, but also how affected the TV promoting it was. After having no TV for three weeks, we're going to find out what Mobile's made out of. So let's take another look at that TV, man, that promoted this show. Uh, And bear in mind, Dave, this was a new TV. While this TV uh, is showing in Mobile, there's a new one being recorded in Dothan at the same time. Uh, but uh, we're going to be watching people in Mobile, this TV from the Saturday before. And uh, this TV showing in Mobile was designed on purpose, man, specifically to be the first TV seen there once we came back to the Mobile, Pensacola markets after that three-week ban ended. All right, all right, wait. Just So this TV that you're showing in Mobile is the one that Dothan fans saw Last week, the week before, Dothan fans simultaneously are seeing a new TV show on this day. Are you saying that you designed this particular TV shown last week in Dothan on purpose so that you could get the maximum benefit for your first live event back in the mobile market by the time it aired three days before the event? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying, my man. (laughs) So. So yeah, let's let's just take that TV and let's break it down from Dothan the week before, and uh, the one that was showing in Mobile this week, and uh, and and I think you'll see, and so will listeners out there, what I'm talking about. So that program had five videos in it, and each one of them had its own story to tell. The first three videos covered all three weeks of TVs missed in that Mobile and Pensacola market. So all three of those videos concerned the Gibson and the Spears angle, the, the Robert, uh, his brother getting hurt, all of it, you know. So the first video that I would talk about that was in this particular show, all these are in this one show, was from three weeks earlier, and it showed uh, Billy. It was shown by Billy Spears, and he was recalling his team hurting Ricky Gibson and uh, Ricky having to leave the territory. And that left his brother, Robert, with uh, no partner. And Rip Tyler uh, uh, said uh, he would jump in and help and help uh, Robert to see what he could do with the assassins. So uh, you got that video, which uh, fans got a chance to see. It had been three weeks earlier that it showed, but it was in this particular show. Uh, The second video was from two weeks earlier, and this one was shown by Robert Gibson. And it was where Billy Spears got his white suit stripped off down to his long underwear. And so that one was in there. Uh, The third (laughs) video in that show was from the last TV show shown, and it was shown by Billy Spears. Uh, And it was from Dothan, Alabama, and it showed how his assassins beat the Gibson and Tyler team. And that's how Rip Tyler was sent packing and and a loser-leave match and had to leave Southeastern. Fourth video for the last show was shown by me, had to do with me and Bob at this point. And uh, it had David Schultz in it, helping me beat Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Bob Armstrong, for the $10,000 prize money <laughs> from the elimination match that, uh, that I had won. And then the fifth video and the last one in this TV was shown by Mr. Two- Goody Two-Shoes himself, old Bob. And, uh, and it showed him putting me to sleep in a submission versus sleeper match. So with these five different videos, we kind of managed to tell a basic story to the Mobile Pensacola market of most everything that they had missed in that three-week period wow. where they got no TV show at all. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's pretty cool how you were able to really kind of catch them up in a period of time like that where they still supported your shows, but they had no TV. It's too bad you couldn't have done something to inject the returning and very popular Ricky Gibson into the TV show. Yeah, but we did, Dave. And uh, if, if you, if you <laughs> think about it, if you remember back, uh, Billy Spears at the end of this TV show, the one that we're talking about, mm-hmm. he brought his team back to the set after they'd won the last match. 
because Robert Gibson was sitting out there and he had just shown the video of Billy Spears getting his white suit torn off. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, okay. and, uh, and the three of them got face to face with Robert at the set. And, uh, because he was alone, uh, uh, Spears even asked him about his mystery partner. Well, where's your mystery partner? And then they grabbed Robert, mm-hmm. drug him over the set, and they started to beat the heck out of him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All right, so it's coming back now. So Ricky Gibson showed up right at the end of the show and was obviously gonna, going to be the mystery partner. So I think you were exactly right. That probably was just about the perfect TV show for that market after what had happened with no TV for three weeks, as we were saying earlier. So what happened in the ring the night of Tuesday, June 20th, 1978, Mobile's Expo Hall? And that's Tuesday night, too. Yes, yes. It's their normal Mobile night. They'd had three weeks with no TVs, and we had gone ahead and gave them the matches, the same matches that had been going on in Dothan the week before. So on this night, June the 20th, 78, Burhead Jones beat El Diablo. Uh, wrestling pro Tarzan Baxter won his match over Eddie Sullivan. David Schultz and Eddie Mansfield beat Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings. And uh, since we had never shown the end of the Gibson Brothers and Assassins Tag Championship match on TV, we were able to have the Gibson Brothers win the tag belts live in all three of our major TV markets. And uh, wow, that was even more effective than showing a video of it happening especially to help build a territory, man, that had been down for a long time. And uh, because fans seeing championships change hands for themselves was a lot better than watching it on TV and it changed hands somewhere else. So fans in Mobile, Montgomery, and Dothan got to see the win of both the Gibsons in person uh, once this match got around to the entire territory. And, uh, they were carried uh, in Mobile on this night when the Gibsons won that match. They were carried back to the dressing room on the crowd's shoulders. It was ridiculous. Wow, it was amazing, man. I mean, that building was the building. Well, we'll talk about the crowd in just a minute. Uh, so Bob and I, man, we were in the last match, and we had a pretty bloody match for the belt and uh, for the ten grand that I'd beaten him for in an elimination match the week before. Uh and two referees, one started the match, the second one came down, he couldn't get control of it, and uh, the bell was rang, and uh, basically it was called a no contest. You know, uh, we were both disqualified, and so we were going to return the next week with me and Bob to do the same match over again, mm-hmm. but the next time it's going to be with no DQ. Uh-huh. Okay, I mean, that's an incredible night of wrestling for the fans. So what was the attendance in Mobile for the first match back after the TV resumed? Well, I'll tell you this, man. We were all shocked. I mean, everybody in the dressing rooms. uh, And it it went from just over 2,000 fans uh, the week before to almost 4,000. It was the biggest crowd yet for Southeastern Gulf Coast. And and that crowd was only about 1,300 fans less than what was in Knoxville. Wow. Wow. So so Bob and I, man, we talked about it. Uh, we had never seen crowds go that fast in any territory. It was like an explosion, man, uh, because they hadn't seen the wrestling. They got the tape back on. They got their show back, and they showed up at the arena by the thousands. Wow. That, and that was a huge jump, plus a great night for the company as well as the fans. So the fans had to be really digging that. And if you haven't, if you had not had the right shows, uh, it might not have brought them back. So you said earlier, we were going to take a look at Southeastern Gulf Coast territory and see how all of it was progressing. If we had the time, I think if we have a few more, more minutes before the learning question, maybe we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad to hear we can. We're going to get another learning tree in. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, so. Let's, let's talk about the, what happened. Let's just take that week as an example. Uh, we've got Mobile already. Uh, so let's talk about what else happened that week. So Pensacola, which ran on Sunday night, is the first town in the week that started every week. And uh, it's going to experience a big jump in its crowd, too, because 
it's going to be getting its first TV in three weeks, just like Mobile did. They were both, those cities were served off that Mobile television station. So uh, Pensacola was up about 800 fans to about 2,500. Uh, biggest crowd yet there. Uh, Montgomery did almost 2,000 on Monday night. And as I said earlier, Mobile was about 4,000 on Tuesday. Uh, Panama City on Thursday night was about 1,500. Dothan on Friday night that week hit 3,600. And, uh, and Little New Brockton on Saturday night closed out that week at 1,800. So <laughs> basically a total attendance for the week, Dave, was over 16,000 fans. Wow. Wow. Up from about 10,000 a month earlier. We had grown 6,000 fans in one month from 10 to 16,000. So Southeastern Gulf Coast was growing much faster than my experience with Southeastern Knoxville's growth. That's for sure. Okay. Really interesting. So what do you think the difference was between the two territories? Is it one thing? Is it a bunch of things, something you can put your finger on? Well, I don't think it had as much to do with the territories as it had to do with me, to be honest with you. You know, uh, when I went to Knoxville, I was only 26 years old. <laughs> I'd never even booked, much less owned a wrestling company. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what a TV format was, much less how to put a TV show together. Uh, I'd never figured an angle of any kind because I'd never booked. And uh, I'd never hired a TV commentator. And I had no idea how to deal with the one I had that was calling punches, warp your head off hold. You know, so, uh, wow, I was, uh, you know, I'd never dealt with a television station or its management, never hired a wrestler to work for me, never been responsible for setting up advertising for a company, and never dealt with an arena or a big building in its management, I'd never been responsible for finding and setting up small cities. I mean, the list goes on and on, Dave. It was, it was not uh, the territory's fault. It was it was my fault, man, that uh, Knoxville's growth was so slow. I had a lot of learning to do. So I guess the short answer to all this is experience. Now, when I go south, and uh, I never had any before I started my first company. But by golly, man, I was ready for my second one. Mm. Okay, so right off the top of your head, I think that's a pretty good answer, Ron. Let's see how you do with the last question of the day, if you're ready. The learning tree question from Jody McCoy. In recent episodes, you talked about Southeastern Gulf Coast TV being suspended in the Mobile, Pensacola market. How many other stations did likewise, or were you still able to provide shows for them? That's a great question, Dave. Uh, you know, and the Mobile TV station was the only one I ever lost for any length of time at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it was only for three weeks. Uh, it was even more critical uh, to our future because uh, when we went down there in the Gulf Coast, we only had three TV stations total, you know? So, uh, boy, if we lost one of them, wow, it might've put us out of business at that point. Uh, the other two stations, they never had a problem or an issue with the episode that Mobile, that the Mobile station had a problem with. So, uh, I was lucky to never again have an issue ever over something that my wrestlers cooked up for an interview or personality profile <laughs> that I didn't know about in advance. I spoke to all of them, man. I said, man, guys, I want to know what the heck's going on before you do it. So uh, I was very lucky to get my TV show back, WKRG <laughs> TV in Mobile, Alabama, mm -hmm. which was a major station in that part of the country. I don't think it would have happened if the station's general manager hadn't been a friend of my dad since the early 1950s. Uh, he told me when I went to see him to try to fix the problem that uh, how successful he had become with the station because wrestling for my dad did so well on the ratings every year. Uh, and he said all that started in 1954. So uh, this issue took place 28 years. You know, he'd been there 28 years uh, <laughs> since he started putting wrestling on his channel before he had this first problem like that. Mm. So coincidentally, man, I talked about the growth and the number of TV stations in my wrestling companies in this studcast earlier. You know, so 
My companies had some of the highest ratings from the Arbitron and Nielsen rating books of any local TV shows anywhere in the country. That's why we had so many TV stations in a small part of the country. Everybody in the TV station business wanted to have a show to hit in the 70 to 80 share of the market, right? Or radio either, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we just finished a TV, a whole month of TV shows in the May studcast, the rating books, 1978. We had eight total stations between the Gulf Coast of Mexico and the and halfway up the state of Kentucky. So, so we're going to talk about the results of those stations' numbers soon, man. It should be time for those numbers to come in, probably July, within the next couple of shows. Yep. So as always, I'm going to spend some time letting Studcast fans know the results of these ratings. Uh, TV stations were as critical to our business the stars like Bob Armstrong and Hulk Hogan and Ronnie Garvin and the Mongolian Stomper, Austin Idol, Tony Charles, the list just goes on and on. So um, I, I got to thank you for your question, Mr. McCoy. For one reason, it was very timely. I mean, uh, you know, this just going down fit really good into this particular broadcast, man. And, uh, and it's about a subject that was vital for the success of every wrestling company in the world. No doubt. Stud, you keep knocking out of the park every week, episode after episode. There you go again. All right, folks, don't forget, you can see Ron in person and get those souvenirs and autographs Saturday, July 2nd, 2022 at the Continental Wrestling Fan Fest in Dothan, Alabama at the crossing at Big Creek Highway 231 South. That's going to be a big event. There are going to be a ton of of stars there, including the Tennessee stud. Is your brother coming up for this? Heck yeah, man. He's awesome. there. Jimmy Golden's there. And uh, Tom Pritchard, the uh, guys out of, out of uh, Knoxville. Yeah, the guys you know? you, the guys you've been talking about, and you've been uh, talking about Tom Pritchard, all these guys. And uh, so it's going to be good to see your brother again. Yep, it certainly is, man. That's awesome. All right, so don't forget that. That is Saturday, July 2nd, Continental Wrestling Fan Fest, Dothan, Alabama, at the crossing at Big Creek Highway 231 on Facebook. To become friends with Ron, you can only do it by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. On the website, you can visit the stud on his tremendous website, tnstud.com. You'll get great videos a photo gallery, every studcast ever done. 43 super studcaster there too. Shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs. Personally autographed photos. The classic Continental Video 5-pack. And the thrilling lion novel called Brutus. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. It is still full of great shows. And coming soon, a first live YouTube question and answer show with the stud also get information there about the streaming channel as well check out classic continental wrestling.com classic continental wrestling.com ron's fantastic streaming channel it's all there and always will be southeastern tv shows are now coming there this week you should find the first ones hundreds more will follow and don't miss the fourth superstars of the past series with two of the greatest professional wrestling humanitarians in history may 1986 continental tv shows are now there 23 usa tv shows two new stud stories and now four stars of the sport with andre the giant mankind mick foley legendary ron wright and bob the bullet armstrong with hundreds of new photos added and now five brutus readings are there from the stud himself actually doing the voices of some of the characters. The content grows weekly, well over 120 hours now of old school wrestling entertainment, and it's only the beginning. Subscribe now. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year. It is fast becoming the best old school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss this special offer right now for a limited time. 
get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. All right, this has been another great ride into wrestling history, Ron. So where will we be heading next week? We're headed in the last week of June, 1978. Uh, Both territories at this point are cranked up for the summer, man. They're both getting lit up. uh, Going to have a record, record business in 78. Uh, Joe LaDuke uh, is going to be ending his three-week vacation in southeastern Knoxville. And he'll be leaving with as many mouths open as when he arrived to climb that pole with nobody knowing he was there. Uh, Southeastern Gulf Coast is in the early stages of the fastest growth in the history of any territory that was in as bad a shape as it was in early 1978 when I bought it. It has just been tremendous what is happening there. And uh, what happens there in this summer had the whole wrestling world buzzing, as a matter of fact. And we have some really, uh, you know, another very good learning tree question lately. Uh, We've had some great ones. And I'm looking forward to another one next week. And I want to thank everybody, man, from the bottom of my heart for all these new fans that are joining us and all those that have supported us from the very start. And please continue to tell your friends and neighbors about us. Take good care of yourselves out there and others as well. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.